Good morning, everyone, and it is good to be here. I'm really appreciative uh, for, for this morning here, and I just want to say also I've been very appreciative over this past week and a half of all of the, the welcome and the, the kindness that you all have shown to our family and just in, yeah, uh, welcoming us on Friday, meals delivered, just even help unpacking our house. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it is, it's been very, very, very kind of you all. Uh, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to preach just a, a, a few uh, one-off sermons uh, before we get into, in a few weeks, starting uh, the Gospel of Mark and spending some considerable time in that. Uh, so uh, just it, it's a way to kind of help ease myself in a little bit here. So these are sermons I've preached before, but I've ones that I've wanted to, uh, to, to bring to us all here th- this morning. And this first one is... Um, it's on kindness, but it's rooted from the fruit of the Spirit, from a, uh, a sermon that I, I was um, helping to, or a series I was helping to preach uh, just actually not too long ago. Uh, so I'm actually going to read for us two passages. I'm going to remind us again of just of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, uh, 20 through through 26. And then our main passage this morning, though, is going to be in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can turn to uh, those those epistles in the, in the New Testament. But before that, let me pray for us that God's spirit would be among us and would be a blessing us in the, in the reading of the, the word and the preaching of the word this morning. Lord God, uh, we come before you needing to hear. Uh, we have other voices that are in our ears uh, the other days of the week. Uh, some of them good, some of them uh, not so good, some that we think are benign, but we come here this morning to be refocused and to hear from you, to be renewed, to have our, our, our vision put into focus once again, to have our, our, our hearts renewed, to be, uh, to be trained once more in re- recognizing what is right. And so in this time here, as we hear from you, Lord, we need your spirit to open our ears and to open our hearts uh, to hear what you have to say for us. And we pray that you would drive this word home and that you would renew us in faith and that you would make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this is Galatians 5, 23 through 26 about the the fruit of the Spirit, this is the Word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then Colossians 2, or sorry, Colossians 3, 12 through 13, which is our our passage that we're going to be particularly looking at uh, the the fruit of kindness from uh, this morning. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Amen. Well, this is a sermon on kindness. At acting kindly, we, ought, we usually think about morality, don't we? But this is not a morality sermon. I mean, for, for one thing, mere morality doesn't really get us a whole lot of places, except to remind us of how much of failures we really are in those ways. And then we feel even worse throughout the week when we uh, don't actually act like moral people. And particularly also, this isn't a morality sermon because in one sense, I don't feel qualified to just simply tell you all the ways of of how to be kind, you know, the six steps to, to, to be kind here. Because I recognize even when I first preached this, and even in the time since, I recognize actually just how unkind I really am, right? There's nothing like preaching, studying about kindness and preaching a sermon on kindness to realize, wow. I am a really unkind person. But more importantly, this is not a morality sermon because this is a sermon that is rooted really in the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit are the signs that God is at work within us. And his people are to be characterized as kind people. When God is working in our hearts, he transforms us into being people of kindness. Like fruit on a, on a well-watered and thriving tree, then it just blossoms forth from us. And so this sermon, instead here, is a testament to God's kindness. That's how he forms kindness in us. And it also is hope for us in our most unkind moments then also. But kindness is also a misunderstood fruit. If the fruit of the Spirit grows from having roots that are sunk deep down into Christ Jesus, then it will look radically different than our common conceptions we have. And its true sense from the Bible goes far beyond what we think of when we just hear the word kindness. So what is kindness then? I mean, popularly speaking, it's become nearly cliche. Be kind, right? Uh, You find t-shirts exclaiming the phrase, kindness is cool. And these are all good things, right? The idea is everywhere, but what is kindness? Well, kindness is not to be confused with niceness. The two of them are not the same, right? Someone can act nice, but does that mean that they're a kind person, though? I tell my kids to play nice together, uh, to be nice to each other when they're in the back of our van. What do I really mean? Get along. Stop fighting. Be good. Don't use certain words. Don't use certain tones of voice with the other. See, being nice describes our actions, but being kind goes a lot deeper. Playing nice can be done without being kind because kindness comes from an inner disposition. Kindness comes from the heart. Now, people spot fake niceties and so-called nice people all the time, but genuinely kind people... Well, that's something entirely different altogether. And the word used for kindness here in the New Testament cuts through our own cultural misunderstandings, and it has nothing to do at all with being nice or good. The real idea behind the word here for kindness, the real idea at its heart, is acting graciously and acting mercifully and generously for the benefit of another. It's a desire to help and to be compassionate. And since kindness is the fruit of the Spirit, 
It's who God is making us into. And as he's remaking his people, he forms them into his likeness. Therefore, if we really want to understand kindness, then we need to look at God and how he demonstrates his kindness then to us. So let's not just use concepts and ideas. Let's consider God to see a little bit more concretely about what kindness is. First, kindness is not giving what's deserved. I mean that in a negative sense there. Uh, Romans 2.4, the Apostle Paul writes that it's God's kindness is his patient forbearance towards us in our sin that leads us to repentance. In other words, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He does not bring his wrath down upon us immediately for our sin. Instead, he is incredibly patient with us. And he exhibits this infinite degree of forbearance. We deserve wrath, but instead he's kind. And so what's that look like concretely for us when we think of human kindness? Well, it means not bringing our wrath down upon others, no matter how much we think that they might deserve it. It's not heaping condemnation on people in their circumstances or in their squalor, particularly if their actions are responsible for the condition they're in. It's removing stigmas from certain people, regardless of how deserved or undeserved it might be. But on the other hand, though, kindness isn't just not giving what's deserved. It's also giving what isn't deserved. Now, Titus 3, 4, and 5 says that God acted in mercy and kindness. It was his kindness there to give us a salvation that wasn't deserved in the least. Ephesians 2, 7 it is in Christ Jesus God has shown us the riches of his grace in kindness. So not only did he not give us what we deserve, not only did he not give us wrath, though he also acted for our benefit and our interest, even though we didn't deserve it. It was solely out of his compassionate heart of kindness that he has bestowed salvation upon us. So we think about human kindness. It's stepping into another's poverty despite whether or not we think it is deserved. It's giving good things or good words also to others who may not have earned them. It's taking genuine interest in others who are not like us. But we also see, though, based on God, that kindness is giving at one's own expense. What did God do for us? What did God do for us in our benefit? He gave himself by giving up his son. Redemption comes at his own expense. He gave himself up for us. And when Jesus then came to bring redemption, it was also at his own expense. Right? He laid aside his glory. He humiliated himself all the way to going to the death on the cross. And in doing so, what's he give us? And he gives us life and glory in turn. So our genuine kindness then might very well be costly to us. It might be financially costly. It might be costly to our honor. It might be costly to our comfort. But kindness is sometimes inconvenienced. But we also see though that kindness is generous giving from the heart. Kindness is giving free of stinginess. Because God didn't just give us some. He didn't just give us a little bit. He gave us all that we need. 
And he didn't just stop there either. He keeps giving and giving in abundance. He gave us Jesus and everything in him. Glory, resurrection, new life for us to be experienced right now. He even gave himself. He gave his spirit. And so how will the Father, how will he not give us all things if he's given us his Son? God is not stingy in the least. And so kindness, what is it? It gives and it gives And then it gives some more. It seeks for opportunities to provide and to demonstrate concern. See, when we think of kindness, we need to first think of God. Because kindness is rooted in the triune God himself. The Father gave us the Son, who also willingly gave himself. The Father and the Son both gave us the Spirit, and that Spirit continues to give abundantly to us. That compassionate self-giving what we don't deserve, despite what we do deserve, disposition of God's heart is true kindness. See, God isn't nice. Uh, He doesn't play well with others. He doesn't try to get along with us. God isn't nice in the way that we think of it, but God is kind. And he is kind through and through. And Jesus is the kindness of God that is most clearly expressed for us. If you read the gospel accounts, in fact, as as we'll start to go through Mark in a few weeks here, you'll see very quickly that Jesus wasn't always nice, at least in the ways that we talk about being nice. He had harsh words for the self-righteous, for the unjust, for those who led astray his sheep. His eyes flashed with a holy anger as he overturned the tables of the money changers in in the temple because they drew profits from worship. Jesus wasn't nice, but Jesus was kind. Jesus was so kind to the needy and the poor by giving them the kingdom of God. He was kind when he reached out to the outcasts and to the lepers and when he invited sinners to himself and he shared a table with them. And he gave himself on the cross to forgive their sins and to make them whole, just as he continues to do for people like you and I today. The kindness of Jesus came from the heart of Jesus because he loved them compassionately. So kindness isn't what we do. It's who we are. It's a disposition. It must come from within. So it's not something that we tack on the outside. Okay, so that, if that's kindness, well, how do we become kind? You can't just will yourself to be a kinder person. You can't just white-knuckle it and say, I'm going to be kind today. It doesn't come through discipline or training. It doesn't come through just following these three steps. I mean, for one thing, practically, that just doesn't work. How do you psych yourself up to be a kinder person, right? When your feet hit the ground in the morning, you're like, I'm just going to be so kind today. But especially, though, too, if it has to do with acting for the benefit of others and seeking out to do their good. Even if you do remain motivated throughout the day for for being kind, do you know how easy it is to turn a blind eye when it's convenient? Or to pretend that you don't notice others and opportunities to display kindness? Or to just do the minimum and then call it good right there? See, willing yourself to be a kinder person doesn't work because it is primarily a heart issue. Attempting to act kindly on the outside and even 
seemingly doing okay at it, that doesn't make you a kind person. It certainly doesn't make you a kind-hearted person. It's like taking an oak tree and hanging apples on it and calling it an apple tree. Okay, it might have apples on it. It might look and resemble a little bit like an apple tree. But you know what? At the inside, that's an oak tree. And plenty of people give the charities. That's the kind thing to do. But not all people give the charities for noble reasons, do they? Some people do give out of, out, of, out of a heart and a genuine care for others and for a desire to see that charity flourish and to see the, the people whom that charity is serving flourish. But you know what? Some people give the charities solely for tax reasons. And does that make you kind? We could probably take a moment here and think about other seemingly good acts done out of, of, out of a disordered heart and maybe even things that we've been convicted about doing. See, a person doesn't bear this fruit of kindness because of what they do any more than hanging apples on an oak tree makes it an apple tree. Rather, they bear the fruit of kindness because of who they are, because of their heart. Kindness, then, must come through renewal. It necessitates a change in the person themselves, not in their actions. Kindness and kind actions come from a kind disposition. You can't teach compassion. You can't teach genuine care. You can't train someone to seek for the good and the benefit of others or to give them themselves. But if that person, though, has a change in their affections, if they, they have a change there with, with that's, their insight is now infused with compassion and care, then their actions will flow out of their new self then. And that's why these are the fruit of the Spirit. Because they come from the Spirit who's working in us. He changes our hearts and He renews our affections to stop looking so much at ourselves and to start looking to others and looking at God out of love. So again, consider a fruit tree. Or think about a garden plant. Where is the fruit born from? How does it come forth? Right, Those grapes or those cherries or that tomato doesn't just sprout from anywhere. It requires nourishment. It requires life. It needs the roots that are sunk down deep into good soil for it to bear the proper fruit. It's the quality of the soil that determines the quality of the fruit. Good soil equals good fruit. Uh, last year in our garden at our old house, we had these tomatoes. And they were the tomato plants were growing up beautifully. And we had these plump tomatoes that were starting to grow. They were still green, but we couldn't wait till they were, they were going to be ripe and red. But suddenly, though, right as they were starting to turn red, they started getting soft bottoms, and it turned brown. And then sure enough, it starts, they start rotting from the bottom. What's going on? I thought these were going to be some beautiful fruit. Well, it turns out the soil that they were sunk in had a calcium deficiency. And so then these tomatoes, because they were not in enriched good soil, ended up then growing deficient. It's the same way with the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit sinks our roots deeper and deeper into Christ, and then we draw our life from Him. And when our roots are sunk deep in Christ, He is the one who determines the quality of our fruit. Our fruit begins to look and like Christ. It begins to resemble His goodness and beauty. If good fruit, or good soil equals good fruit, then Christ equals Christ-like fruit. 
And Jesus Christ is so kind to us. And when the Spirit then causes our roots to grow deep from Him, then the fruit that we bear in our hearts and that bursts forth in our lives and towards others is a kindness which grows out of the kindness of Jesus. And we have that idea reflected here in Colossians 3, but it uses a different metaphor. Paul writes, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, he says, kindness. It's a clothing image rather than an agricultural idea. But the meaning here is still is generally the same. And Paul's referring a little bit earlier in verses 9 and 10. And he talks there about putting on and putting off. He's talking there about putting off and putting on, not clothes, but the self. The old self, who you were prior to Jesus, has been put off. It has been crucified with him on the cross. It's been put to death, and that's not who you are. But now the new self, who you are in Jesus, has been put on. It's a new self which is renewed and which is restored, and it's a new creation. It's Jesus himself as you are united and rooted to him in faith. Your new self is your whole person. It goes all the way down to your inner person that's been renewed in Christ by the Spirit. And so the call then here to put on, in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. That's to live according to the new self. Take up who you are. You have had Christ Jesus, your new person, put upon you like a new set of clothes. So grow into it. Make it yours. Get comfortable in it. Clothing has a way of changing us a little bit. Sometimes what we wear changes our demeanor. It changes the way we act. Uh, you know, we, we kind of feel good, and so we start acting in a little bit different way. Well, one of my, in, when I was in seminary, one of my roommates, uh, before, whenever he had a big exam, he would always wear a suit, and he'd walk out the door and go, dress well to test well. Or if you've ever worn this, like a, a fancy gown or a tuxedo, what's it do to you? Right? you? You feel amazing, don't you? And you tend to act a little bit differently. It brings out new traits in your person. Like you, 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 you start to live in a way that's fitting for the clothes that you have on. Because it just wouldn't be right to, to, be, to act unbecoming or to dress like a slob in, while you're wearing those special garments. And according to the Apostle Paul here, we've been given the new clothes of renewal in Christ. We've been given the new self. And the call then is to live accordingly. Go about in your new self as if you're wearing a fancy outfit or if you're going around wearing formal wear. Let it change you. And that includes kindness. You've been given the new self of Christ and you're dressed in all of his kindness. But like the clothes that we aren't accustomed to, they sometimes feel stiff or unnatural in that moment. But the Spirit continues to be at work in us and in our hearts so that slowly over time they start to feel a little bit more comfortable as we live in them, as we embrace them and they become ours. And hopefully by the grace of God we start to move more freely in them and have them eventually feel just as natural as our favorite pair of jeans. And that begins with a changed heart. If our heart isn't changed, then it doesn't matter how fancy those clothes might be. We're just playing dress up or we're acting in clothes that aren't really ours. So you cannot make yourself a kinder person. 
It must come through the Spirit as He roots us in Christ and as He unites us into the new self of Christ and puts us in Him. That doesn't mean that we're to be totally passive. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone there, but we are also called in Philippians 2 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And in relation to kindness, reflecting on God's kindness gives us a better view of what true kindness is. It's the kindness of Christ Jesus, the kindness of the Father. And of knowing his kindness then gives new meaning on how we can seek to bear fruits of kindness. We are to put on kindness, it says here, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. See, that's referring to the new self. If you're a new creation in Christ, you had nothing to do with it. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were unable to tell your right hand from your left. But it was a sovereign mercy. It was the grace of God that plucked you up from death and brought you to life. You had no hand in it. You're holy. God looks upon you as holy. But you're also set apart by God and you're given a new purpose. And you're beloved. Because the eternal love of God rests upon you, even to the point of being brought then to share in the love between the Father and the Son themselves. And what did you have before? Nothing but sin and unrighteousness and wrath. There was no hope for us except that God is kind and he has took pity to shower you with mercy and to bring you into his family. And that speaks infinite volumes to the kindness of God. The more that we can understand that, or perhaps even just get a slightly better grasp than before, then the more that we will be brought to our knees in humility and worship and will be like Job. I lay my hands on my lips. I cannot speak. I have nothing to say. And who is it more than humble people who become kind people? Because they recognize that all they have is from God's compassionate kindness in the first place. So then, though, how is kindness displayed? What does the fruit look like? How does it taste? How does it smell? Well, one way is that it shines through. One way is generosity. True generosity comes from the heart. It doesn't merely give, but it blossoms from a, a deep concern budding up from the inside. It loves to give. Give as needed and in abundance. And it does so free from obligation. It gives and extends itself, not because it has to, but because it wants to. And with joy. A person bearing kindness from the Spirit as a result of their roots sunk into Jesus will be generous with what they have. Because they know that everything that they have, no matter how much or how little, is absolutely undeserved. And if God has given them what is undeserved, then they will be moved to share with others. And when we think of generosity, admittedly, many of our minds think first in terms of financial, financial terms. And, and it's true, a kind generosity often will result in giving out of what we have in our wallets and our bank accounts. But here's the thing, though. Generosity isn't dependent on the amount, but the heart. Right? So don't get too hung up on the amount, especially if you don't have much. But Jesus commended the widow for giving two pennies, for giving all she had over the incredible gifts that others were, were giving because her heart was in it. It wasn't because of the size, it was because of her heart. And if we're unwilling to part with what we have for the sake of others, 
Even if we give but tight-fisted, it reveals a heart that isn't generous and a heart that isn't kind. But we're free to give because God loves us, that we are his beloved and his chosen people, and he will provide for us. God loves to give. He will provide for us abundantly, and so also we love to give as we're formed in his image. And sometimes he uses our abundance as a means of providing for others then. And he does that by working kindness and generosity in our hearts. But generosity takes other forms as well. It's a common American myth that all problems can be solved by just throwing money at it. Perhaps what's needed, though, is a generosity that, that goes deeper and extends itself further. And invite others to share not only in what we have, but in sharing our very selves. And I'm referring to hospitality. Kindness shows itself through our ordinary hospitality. Now, genuine hospitality isn't entertaining or hosting. There's a difference. One promotes comfort and entertainment, but the other one invites into sharing everyday life. It's not concerned with wowing other people, but with inviting and opening oneself into genuine relationship. And even by bringing them into the sacred spaces of our homes. It can be something as simple as sitting together at your table over a cup of coffee or opening up a listening ear out of genuine concern. It values the other person. It desires to know them and to be known in turn. And it doesn't have to be fancy. And any time shared at the table doesn't have to be fancy either because that's not the point. The point is to extend yourself and to invite them into the ordinaries of your life. There's something a lot more intimate in that. And kindness showing itself through generous hospitality is relational. It seeks to know and to be known. And that's more important than ever in a society that is starved relationally. And especially as we extend ourselves to genuinely know others who we may not have first expected. But if kindness is relational, then it also shows itself through our words as well. Words don't just come from nowhere. Where do they come from? They come from the heart. And since kindness is based in the heart, then our words also ought, therefore, to express that as well. James 3, 11 through 12 says that a freshwater spring doesn't bubble forth salty water. And then you can't find fresh water from a salt lake. And the idea is that you expect to find what's fitting from what comes from the source. In the same way with our words, a renewed heart which knows the kindness of God will have words flowing forth that are tinged with the same kindness. And that means not speaking harshly to others, even when we think that it's warranted. God's kindness to us is not giving us what we deserve. So why would we lay into people and give them what we think that they deserve? Well, there's a difference between words of correction and harsh words. And unfortunately, our sinful minds and our tongues mix up those categories. And I'll say this as a parent, I get that. As someone who wants to maintain my own honor, I get that. But kindness, though, with our words is not only restraint, it's also saying the right thing. It's giving encouragement when it's needed. Again, God's kindness is his giving to us what we don't deserve. And we can demonstrate that with our words to those who are beaten down or to those who have messed up. Maybe it's the same way with you. Think about some of the most kind people that you've known. At least for me, they show it by their words. 
They know how to speak gently and carefully to myself or to others in those times when, when we've needed it most. But finally, genuine kindness shows itself proactively. It seeks to extend itself, to seek to, to extend kindness to others. It invites. It doesn't wait for others to come to them to help. All right, we like that idea of people coming to us for help, but we also know that when we consider ourselves, we rarely actually go out and ask for help from others, even when they invite us to. It doesn't only respond to needs then. It looks for opportunities uh, to, in proactive ways to serve others. And in doing so, we reflect God's kindness. He didn't wait for us, but he sought after and came to us even at his own expense. And again, and in terms of relationality, kindness seeks out relationships proactively. It extends itself towards others. Uh, it looks for those who are on the fringes or those who who at the least might be unknown to them. It seeks to build genuine relationships with, with others in the community who in outward ways or in worldly ways may not look like, uh, like them or, or, or it's unexpected. But it does the same, though, within the walls of the church, too. Are there people here who you don't know? Is there anyone here who you're nervous about knowing because they might seem different from you? See, genuine kindness extends itself proactively and relationally. But in the end, it's God's kindness that he's making us more kind. Making us more kind according to his image. It's his kindness that he regards us with compassion in our deepest moments of unkindness. And he's always faithful to forgive us of that because of his own self-giving nature. That he gave us his son to forgive us from all of our unkind moments and from our selfish hearts and all of their manifestations. And he gave us his spirit to transform us in turn, to not leave us where we are. And so even though we don't deserve it, he's working within us to form our hearts in closer alignment with his, to shape us from the inside out into being people of deeper, genuine care. And so as we seek to bear fruits of kindness, let's not forget God's everlasting kindness to us and to keep our eyes focused upon him. Let's pray. Lord God, as we sit back and think about kindness, we first look at you and the deep kindness that you have shown to us. And we don't deserve it in the least. But it's who you are. You are so generous. You're so good. And we thank you for, for not only what you have done for us, but who you are making us into. And we pray that our roots, that you would be sinking our roots deeper into Christ Jesus. And that we would be drawing our life out of, out of him. And that we would slowly be continuing to bear fruit that looks more and more like him, like his kindness. And that it would be coming from a heart which is changed, which bears and reflects the kindness of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would not only be renewing us, but showing us then ways that we can also reflect that kindness. And even in ordinary moments, that you'd be growing fruit in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.